Well, w- welcome to the last year of 2020, the last day of 2023. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, New Year's right around the corner. It's, a, it's an exciting time, and something that I have really appreciated about the end of the year is the opportunity to reflect. I've been having a few really good conversations with close friends about what this year's been like. It's been a year of lots of changes for me. And I've only just started to realise some things that have been going on for me uh, that I probably should have realised months ago if I was better at reflecting. But it's, it's a good opportunity. Um, but, you know, there's, there's someone who, who's been very good at reflecting for a while, and that's Time magazine. That Time magazine, for almost 100 years, has been the self-proclaimed authority in declaring the person of the year. They... they decide every year the person they think has had the biggest impact on the world. Now, let me tell you five of the finalists. There's, there's Sam Altman. He was the CEO of the company that created ChatGPT. You've got Taylor Swift, Barbie, <laughs> Vladimir Putin, and King Charles III. Now, what, what I want you to do, chat to the person next to you or a few people around you, how would you rank those people? Who would you name person of the year? So you've got Sam Altman, Taylor Swift, Barbie, Vladimir Putin, and King Charles III. Have a chat. All right. Did you come to any consensus? Uh, I, I wonder what you reckon. Do you know what their time editors reckon? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the person of the year. I find that really interesting, right? You've got, you got some world leaders. You've got someone who's created world-changing technology, but it's Taylor Swift's music and, and her... Um, her influence that's apparently the biggest in the world. Now, to be fair, she does have a massive impact. In Australia alone, four million people tried to buy tickets to her concerts. And I remember there was a few days there where it felt like Australia was put on hold and almost everyone had five devices out trying to get tickets and hoping one of the devices would get in. And in my car, 90% of the time... Taylor Swift is on. I'm, I'm subjected to it. I'm driving, helpless to do anything about it, and my wife, she loves to blast it out. For better or for worse, Taylor Swift has had a massive impact on the world. So you can, you can kind of see how Time magazine got there. But what about God? Who would God name Person of the Year? Yeah. What does God look for in a person? In other words, what's the, what's the mark of a person who is right with God? Is it the person who goes to church every week? Is it the person who knows the Bible inside out? The person who serves all the time at church? Well, surprisingly, no. As good as those things are, those are great things. As good as those things are, 
fundamentally, they're not what God looks for in a person. See, according to the Bible, we have an eyesight problem. We don't see things the way God does. And according to John 9, without eyes to see clearly, without God opening our eyes, it doesn't matter how much you go to church or read the Bible or serve. Without clear sight, no one will be right with God. So how do we get right with God? How do we get clear spiritual sight? That's what John 9 is all about. Now, our passage starts off with Jesus coming across this blind man. And thank you for picking Seymour. I hope it's not too distracting. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got to confess, I've been calling him Greg all week. So if Greg slips out of my mouth, just apologies. We'll see what happens. So Jesus, he, he finds Seymour on the road. And his disciples want to know, whose fault is it that Seymour was born blind? Who sinned? But amazingly, Jesus says, no, Seymour's blindness, it's not a punishment for sin. Now, verse 3, have a look. Jesus says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Seymour was born blind so that God's works might be displayed in him, to show something about Jesus. And Jesus tells us what that work is in verse 5. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the reason why Seymour has been blind his whole life, so that it would be abundantly clear that Jesus is the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, take a look at verse 6 and 7. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus rubs Seymour's eyes with mud, he washes it off, and he can see. Isn't it an amazing moment? Can you imagine what this would have been like? He had nothing. He's living in a time where there's no Braille, there's no guide dogs, no disability support workers. He would be completely dependent on his family. He had absolutely no prospects except to beg. He can't do anything else. And no one's going to want to give to Seymour. Because everyone, the whole Jewish society reckons he's a massive sinner and he's getting what he deserves. He's the absolute lowest of the low. And then suddenly, this random guy who he can't even see because he's blind is rubbing mud on his eyes and tells him to wash it off in some pool. Not what Seymour would have been expecting on a Saturday morning. But this one moment changes his whole life. See, but the crazy thing is this healing of Seymour, that's not even the the main point of the story. It's not even the biggest thing. His healing is just a little picture to show us something bigger that's going on. You see, Jesus is concerned about spiritual sight way more than physical sight. He wants people to know who he is, 
to know what life is all about, to be right with God. So what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Well, it's got something to do with blindness and sight. But we're going to need to keep reading to work it out. Now, we need some props, I think, to tell the story. So I've got, I've got Seymour right here. This is Seymour. There you go. He looks pretty happy. He's been healed. He's got good eyesight now. Now, Seymour, he, he starts walking around Jerusalem, clearly not blind. He's walking around like some tourist taking in all the sights he's never seen before. And verse 8, his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some said that he was. Others said, no, nah, it just looks like him. It, you know, it's, it's Seymour's doppelganger. But he was insisting, no, it's me. The neighbours, they're not sure what to make of Seymour. They're sceptical and divided. So they ask him, well, how were your eyes opened? And Seymour replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, at this point, Seymour's neighbours know that he used to be blind. They know he can now see, and they know it was Jesus who healed him. You'd expect them to be amazed and put their trust in Jesus, right? But they're still not sure what to make of Jesus. And in their minds, healing someone is a religious thing. So they take Seymour to the religious experts, the Pharisees, to see what they think. Let's get the Pharisees. So these these big, powerful Pharisees rock up. These are the religious experts. They rock up, and in verse 14, there's a bit of a plot twist. Now, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, dear. In the Pharisees' eyes, no good. See, in chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, and ever since, the Pharisees have been trying to kill him for it. And now he's done it again. So verse 15, Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. The Pharisees aren't sure what to make of Jesus. And to be honest, I find that a bit surprising given they want to kill him. But this starting point for the Pharisees is really important for us to notice. So we're trying to work out, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? And for the rest of the story, the Pharisees and Seymour are the two key characters to help us work that out. The Pharisees, they start out divided. So they ask Greg, what do you have to say about him? Oh, sorry about that. They asked Seymour, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and he replied, he's a prophet. Can you see what's happened? Seymour, he's starting to see more clearly. (laughs) 
See, in verse 11, in verse 11, Seymour said Jesus was just a man called Jesus. But now he's realized not, he's not just an ordinary man. He's a prophet. He's a representative of God. It's like the lights turned up a bit. But the Pharisees don't like the sound of that answer. They've just heard a glimpse of the truth about Jesus. He's a prophet. That's not the best answer to who is Jesus, but it's true. And look what happens. They start to become more blind. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Sounds like not a bad question, right? There's nothing wrong with looking for evidence. But these Pharisees, they're not searching for the truth. Now, they're searching for something to invalidate this story, and they're trying to bully the parents into silence. Have a look at how it plays out. Verse 20. We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. See, the thing about this answer is it's not true. They know Jesus opened Seymour's eyes. Look at the next verse. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, anyone who said Jesus is the king, would be put out of the synagogue. Now put yourself in the parents' shoes for a second. Imagine what the last 20 or so years would have been like for them. See, they're they're living in a time where it was hard just to put food on the table. And then Seymour is born, this blind boy. And they would have needed to do everything for him. They would have needed to take him everywhere they went, even as an adult. And then they hear one day, he's been healed by this guy named Jesus. Isn't that going to be the best day of their lives? They've got to love Jesus, right? They're too scared to even speak his name. Isn't it devastating? Instead, they throw their son under the bus. Ask him. He's of age. Now, can you see what's happened with the Pharisees? They've already decided for themselves what they think of Jesus. They don't want Jesus as their king. And so they use their power to bully people into silence. They act like they're trying to investigate and shed light on the situation. But in reality, they're just becoming more and more blind. It's like the lights are turning down. But they're not done yet. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. See, because of their parents' testimony that their son had been born blind, they can't deny. Seymour, he was blind. He can see now. But that hasn't helped them to put their trust in Jesus. Actually, they're further away from him than they ever were. Remember, in verse 16, they they were divided. They weren't sure whether Jesus was a sinner, but now they're sure. 
And you can feel the tone of what they're saying, can't you? They're probably sounding frustrated. What they say would be dripping with intimidation. The kind of intimidation that that led uh, Seymour's parents to throw him under the bus. Remember, these are the elites of society. These are people you don't want to mess with. And they're mocking a man right at the bottom of the social ladder, a blind beggar. If this were me, I would be absolutely terrified. I think my knees would buckle. But take a look at verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So beautiful, isn't it? Seymour, he doesn't claim to be a religious expert. He's got the humility to admit what he doesn't know, but he's not going to back down from what he does know. I was blind, but now I see. But this isn't good enough for the Pharisees. They push even further. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? What an amazing turn of events. This, this blind beggar is having a dig at the Pharisees. Can you hear the sarcasm? Of course the Pharisees don't want to become Jesus' disciples. Seymour knows that. But now it's open season on Seymour. Who is he to question and mock us? You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Again, this is the intimidation that Greg's parents, Seymour's parents experience. It's, it's brutal. But it's like the light has been turned up a little for Seymour. He's like, you guys are Moses' disciples, are you serious? I'm no expert, but at least I know enough of Moses to know God doesn't listen to sinners. Jesus, he must be from God. He's calling them out. They're supposed to be experts, but he can see they're actually blind. Up to this point, Seymour, he wasn't sure whether Jesus was a sinner or not. Remember verse 25? He answered the question with, I don't know. And if anything, you'd expect this intimidation to turn him away from Jesus. But despite the intimidation, the more Seymour considers Jesus, the clearer he sees. His vision of Jesus has become more and more clear. The Pharisees have become more and more blind. Verse 34, to this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Rather than admit they were wrong, they resort to insults and use their power to kick him out of the synagogue. Can you see their vision going black? They're further away from Jesus than they ever were. Their eyes are darkened to the realities of life and hope that Jesus offers. Seymour, he's kicked out of the synagogue. Probably more of a social outcast now than he ever was as a blind beggar. And take a look at the interaction between him and Jesus. It's beautiful. Verse 35. 
Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Jesus is claiming to be the Son of Man, the King who would rule the whole world forever. It's an absolutely massive claim, but Seymour doesn't hesitate. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Isn't this so good? Seymour's eyes have been fully opened. He sees clearly. Jesus is the king. Life is all about him. He puts his trust in Jesus and receives forgiveness and eternal life. No more wondering about the point of life. No more wondering about how to get right with God. It's all about Jesus and following him. Now, can you see, this passage shows us that encountering Jesus can have one of two effects. As you come in contact with the person Jesus, either you receive sight or you become more blind than you ever were. Take a look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates some and blinds others. But who gets sight? Who becomes blind? Have a look at verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Can you see the problem the Pharisees have? They hate the thought of being blind. All their lives, they've trusted their own judgment. They reckon they can see just fine on their own. And to be honest, if anyone's going to see just fine on their own, it's these guys. It was their job to know God and His Word. But they were blind, weren't they? And they read God's Word already thinking they they knew what life was all about not willing to be changed by God's word. And so Jesus says, your guilt remains. It's exactly what Jesus was saying in verse 39. Those who think they can see just fine on their own, those who are opposed to Jesus, are blinded when they encounter him. But for those who have the humility to recognize their own blindness, Jesus gives sight. You see, Jesus is a bit like super bright high beams on a dark winding road. I used to love going camping with my mates growing up. We'd travel these dirt roads at night. And to be honest, some of these roads were a bit sketchy. There's potholes everywhere. It's pretty windy. And you... You can't see in front of you because my headlights, they're pointing forward and not around the corner where I'm about to go. At least my lights were. But I had, I had a mate who had these light bars on top of his roof and I'll tell you what, these things were bright. 
They, they would basically give you a 180 degree view for hundreds of meters. Following behind one of these, you could see like it was daytime. But imagine if I was dumb enough to go on my own. You know, stuff for mate. I'm going my own way. I don't want to follow him. Well, I'd be pretty blind without my mate guiding me. My headlights aren't very good. But then what happens when I meet my mate on the road, we're going in opposite directions, and his headlights are shining right in my eyes? I can't see a thing. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. For those who admit they are blind, those willing to follow Jesus, he gives light, like high beams illuminating the path ahead. But for those who think they can see just fine on their own, those who refuse to follow Jesus, to come in contact with him, it's like high beams shining straight in your eyes. It's blinding. Between the Pharisees and Seymour, who would have ever expected Seymour to be the one right with God? Who would have ever picked him, this, this blind guy, the blind beggar, to be the person of the year in God's eyes in this story? But that's the shock of this passage. See, getting right with God... Getting Jesus right, it's not fundamentally about whether or not you go to church or how much you know the Bible or how much you serve. The Pharisees had all those things, but they didn't get it. They weren't right with God. It's perfectly possible to do all the Christian things and yet still hold on to the belief that you can see just fine on your own. But getting Jesus right is about responding to him in humble obedience. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Everyone close your eyes. You kids, you, you close your eyes too. I want you to imagine yourself in front of Jesus. What's your posture like? Are you standing tall, confident in yourself? Or are your knees bowed? in humble humility before Jesus. Do you recognize how blind you are without him? Does he rule your life? You can open your eyes. You see, getting right with God, it's all about posture. It's all about your posture before Jesus. Those willing to come humbly before him, He promises sight. The joy of Seymour is our joy too. We can say with him, I was blind, but now I see. Jesus has opened our eyes to see that he is our king. Life is all about him. We can be right with God. It's so good. How are you going to look to and listen to Jesus this year? Do you want to keep seeing more and more clearly? I want to encourage you, keep encountering Jesus in the pages of the Bible. 
approach God's word every day with humility. The humility to be corrected and taught. We shouldn't be confident in ourselves, but wonderfully we can be confident in God's word. So open his word regularly and humbly so that you might have clearer and clearer sight. Choose one of those reading plan options and stick to it. And as you read the Bible, be willing to be changed. And as you have your eyes opened, let it permeate your life. Life is all about Jesus. He's our King. Do your New Year's resolutions line up with that? Do your goals for 2024 line up with that? Jesus is our King. Let's be following Him in everything. But maybe you're not willing to bow the knee to Jesus. I wonder what's holding you back. Maybe like Seymour's neighbours. You've heard about Jesus and what He's done, but you're not willing to believe it. Or maybe like, maybe like Seymour's parents. You reckon Jesus is a great guy, but you're not willing to commit your whole life to him because you're scared what others might think. Or maybe like the Pharisees, you just reckon you can see just fine on your own. You don't need Jesus. You got it covered. Well, whatever's holding you back, I hope you can see the Bible is making a massive claim that you don't want to shrug off lightly. Jesus is not just a miracle worker and a great teacher. He's the king of the world and life is all about him. If that's true, to reject Jesus is the biggest mistake you'll ever make. Jesus is the light of the world. Getting right with God, it's all about posture. Your posture towards Jesus. Humble yourself before him and he will give you sight. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus into the world to be the light of the world. We thank you that you make the blind see. Please help us to recognize our own blindness. We're sorry for all the ways that we are confident in ourselves, in our own eyesight, thinking we know what life is about. Please humble us. Humble us before Jesus that we would bow the knee to Him, that we would let Him rule our lives. And we thank You that You promise in Jesus to give us sight as we humble ourselves before Jesus. Please help us to see the world clearly the way You do. And help us to live with Jesus as our King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.